2: and protect every citizen from police brutality. When we come together, it becomes possible to bridge the gaps that plague our society and divide us from within. We the people means everyone.
0: Hello and welcome to the Social Psychic Radio Show. This is Jason Zook. It's a great pleasure I have the opportunity of presenting special guest, Michael Huber, to the show today. Michael is a certified mental performance consultant accredited by the Association of Applied Sports Psychology. He's also a father, experienced business advisor, athlete and mentor. The primary focus of Michael's practice is serving young athletes and their families. All of his work is motivated by the desire for others to get the best out of their abilities and resources. Michael believes that mental performance coaching is about becoming aware of mental emotional challenges, removing those roadblocks, and taking intentional action to improve as a person and performer. Our guest returned to school for a master's degree in sports psychology in his early 40s, based upon his desire to help others, but also due to his recognition that youth sports can be improved with an increased understanding of what makes young people tick. Prior to entering the sports psychology field, Mike spent almost 20 years as a successful business consultant working for globally recognized professional firms such as Ernst Young, KPMG, and Cushman & Wakefield. Of course, the most important aspect of Michael's life at this point is his two children, Patrick and Lucy, ages 13 and 11. It's a great pleasure that I welcome Michael to the show. Welcome to the show, Michael. Thanks, Jason. What a a nice intro. I appreciate it. (laughs) I appreciate the fact that you agreed to come on the show. One of the things I want to do in my new season of my show is not just look at spirituality and, you know, healing modalities, but actual practical applications of how this stuff applies in everyday life. And one of the things that I feel this stuff is really important with is youth athletics, collegiate athletics. And I wanted to first ask, what motivates you to go into sports psychology for your own field of interest at this stage of your life?
1: It's a good question, and it's a long time coming. So I, I was always very much into sports growing up as a kid, you know, playing and always, you know, like a lot of kids wanted to be a professional athlete when I was young. And obviously that, that that's very hard to do and didn't come to fruition, but I always had this sort of deep love for sports. But I, as I got older and went to college you know, sort of get, I got, I don't know, just sort of co-opted by the idea of that, you know, I need to be responsible and I need to get a job and I need to make money. And but that was, you know, always something I wanted to do. I just didn't really understand how to do it. And as I got into my late 30s and into my early 40s, I just really was having this sort of existential crisis about like, why am I doing what I'm doing if I don't really love it? And you know, I had been pretty successful in my work up until that point. You know, I was pretty good at what I did, and I was making a okay living, and and I had a little money saved up, and I was like, well, I really want to make this change, so. It took a few years to sort of work through the decision in terms of like is this responsible, reasonable, possible, all those things. And then once I got to the point where I was like, I'm ready. I just sort of pulled the trigger and and uh, went back to school. And and that that was probably that yeah, was five years ago. Almost this April will be five years.
0: Interesting. I I just want to relate for our the background on you for our audience. I uh, I found you on PodBooker.com, and I'm so glad I did. You're from my home state of New Jersey and I was looking at your website and I saw that you've been working in this area for, as you said, for a while. And I wanted to ask you, how has your experience been with promoting yourself to high school athletics, organized sports, college athletics? How's it been for you to fit your role into what you do and how you could help student athletes become better at what they do?
1: That's a really good question. It's, it's, um, it's challenging but only it, it, because of its because of a lack of awareness i think most people don't really have an understanding of what somebody like me does certainly parents and young athletes and coaches understand that there's a mental element to sport that is tangible right in the sense that everybody knows it's there and they know it's it, it impacts people's performance and their feelings and all the things that go with being an athlete but they're not really familiar that there's a whole field around it, right? People like me who actually specifically help athletes perform or performers perform, whatever your form of performance is, you know, could be a business person, it could be a performing artist, you could be whatever it is. But in my case, it's athletes. And I think once I educate parents and athletes on it, they're very interested in learning more and they're very interested in moving forward and trying it. I think the harder part for me has just been sort of building that awareness, like the general awareness through marketing and you know websites and social media to get people to understand this is what I do and this is the problem I can help them to solve.
0: I, I love the fact that you also have been involved in competitive baseball for thirty years. I want to see if you could share that experience with our audience.
1: Yeah, and I would say I, I didn't. It that definitely influenced my decision be it maybe sort of secondarily. I played baseball from the time I was five. It was sort of my first love. I played through high school. I wasn't great, but I was a good to very good high school player. I wanted to go on playing in college, but There were a lot of reasons why that didn't happen. Some of them were family related, some of them were kind of just circumstances. But then I got into adulthood and I was living in New York city in my mid twenties. And I, I started working with a really close friend of mine who's close friend of mine to, to this day, 20 years later. And he's like, you want to play baseball? And I was like, yeah, like where, how, what, like, you know, I'm 25. And he's like, yeah, we play in central park and, um, this is what it looks like. And, I started and in probably like just like 2000, 2001, whatever sort of playing. And that, that lasted into my early forties until I got to a point where I have a couple of fairly serious injuries, ailments that just really limit my ability to do some of the things I would need to do to be successful. So I sort of called it a day, but like that experience really like inspired me and reminded me how much I love performing. And I think what it's also done is. Playing a sport competitively in your adult years, put, I, at least in my opinion, put me in a puts me in a better position to relate to the young athletes because, like, I've gone through that, like, where I've struggled, where I've kind of s- sat up at night staring at the ceiling, going, "Like, why can't I hit?" or "How did I make that error?" or, you know, I just feel like I had so much of my identity tied up in sports, even when it didn't matter. I was a father, and I was you know, a professional and a husband. And all of a sudden, like I was back to being a high school kid of like, Oh my God, why am I not good at this? And so I think that recent experience really helps me relate to young people who go through these things. And a lot of times we're getting advice from people who haven't been there in 10, 15, 20, 30 years, and they just forget what it's like to actually be competitive and not always be successful.
0: I was going to say something that I find interesting. I played sports when I was younger in high school, and I was not a natural athlete. I had to work at it, and I never excelled at it, but it taught me a lot of important lessons for the game of life, so to speak. I learned teamwork. I learned individual accountability, responsibility, overcoming obstacles and setbacks. And so for me, this stuff fits into so many other aspects, not just for athletes, but for everyone. And I wanted to ask you as uh, a mental performance consultant, what type of recommendations would you make to anyone in our audience who perhaps isn't an athlete, but has an interest in learning what type of competitive edge young athletes get working with you to, to navigate our world right now? Cause we're living in this unsettling times. And I, 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 what do you have in suggestions? For?
1: It's a tremendous question because I sports tends to be the can a canvas, a metaphor for life. Right. And so what I really try to teach young people is how to handle adversity and how to stay present when there's so much stuff going on around you or in your mind, and you're not able to sort of focus what's happening in the here and now. So, you know, one of the things I see with young people is, you know, pretty consistently in varying degrees is perfectionism. So, you know, the feeling or the belief that they need to do everything correctly or, or they can't make a mistake, and it really derails them because they're constantly thinking about, well, what did I just do? Or what if I don't do this in the future? And I think that that carries into adulthood. It's sort of like, you know, if you relate it to, to the the time we, the times we've been in the last couple of years, you know, I think there's a lot of people who have a lot of anxiety about what if I get COVID? What if I lose my job more so than even normal, because so much is out of the, the person's control. And that's something I talk to athletes all the time about is like, what can you control and what can't you control? And it seems so elementary But sometimes they don't even recognize it or realize it before they go through the exercise of like, oh, like I can't do anything about this. So what is the point? Like, what's the value in worrying about something I can't control? Now, it's not always that easy to snap your fingers and stop the worry. But if we know we're worrying about something we can't control, we do have a choice to do something about it. And I think that that's something that seems obvious. But when your, when your thoughts and emotions are taken over, it's not that, it's not that obvious, right? It doesn't seem like it's possible.
0: Interesting. You say the what if part, when I work as a psychic and and give readings to people, one of the things I tell anyone I work with in my private life, personal life, professional life, everything is to say anything that starts with what if, when you're thinking it, it's likely not going to ever happen. So you need to minimize those what if thoughts kind of put them in a little box, lock them away and try to focus on those positive things that you know you can control, things that you can react to. And it sounds like you do that in your in your line of work with athletes and that's fascinating. I'm very excited to hear that. What do you think about anyone who deals with anxiety as an athlete? How do you how do you work with students who deal with their own anxieties and fears beyond just what if thoughts, but actual like habits that feed into their you know, their anxiety, their stress? How do you help Work with students like that?
1: Yeah. So what I I think to start, I would say, you know, there's a distinction in my world between performance anxiety and clinical anxiety, right? Sort of generalized anxiety. So because my practice focuses on performance only, if I see somebody has performance Performance anxiety, certainly that's something I would work with them on, right? Maybe it's teaching them breathing techniques. Maybe it's teaching them a way to reframe their thoughts, you know, sort of from the what ifs to, you know, rather than looking at it as a threat, looking at it as an opportunity or maybe visualizing some of the things that we want to be uh, to come or just visualizing the way we want to handle a situation, And then that all obviously relates to their performance. Now, if I see that someone's coming to me and that anxiety is sort of permeating all areas of their life, I would likely refer them out to somebody who's a clinical psychologist or psychiatrist, et cetera, depending on the degree. So part of my training was understanding those sorts of clinical disorders, you know, psychopathology to say, Hey, like this is beyond my scope. I can't, Uh, treat someone with medication or I can't treat some of these broader things, but the same principles apply in the sense that the same tools are available to somebody like me versus somebody who's a clinical practitioner, right? It's really helping people to, you know, I, I think to get a handle on it and I'm listen, I am diagnosed as being a generalized anxiety disorder sufferer. I am treated with medication which I think helps me as well to understand like what anxiety can do to somebody. But at the same time, like, I also have the experience of saying like, okay, once I kind of got a handle on it and I accepted it and I, and I took control of the situation and did what I had to do, which was ultimately go on medication, which I didn't want to do for a very long time. And then I realized like, I have to do this to get my life under control because it was taking over and then doing all those other things. Plus the medication my life, it's so manageable now. It's like not something that I really think about much anymore. So it's really about helping them sort of reframe the thinking and give them the tools to supplement maybe some of the other things that are out there that they can use to put themselves in a better place.
0: I love the way you just phrase that. Cause I believe so importantly, it's, it's, it's it, to me, where we are right now, if we look at the gestalt, the whole of the person, not just mm-hmm. how they perform on the field, I think that, that you can unlock a lot more for someone's potential and their ability to not get in their own way and uh, keep them from being stuck with their own negative concepts or, as you said, performance anxiety. One of the things, I, I, you know, from reviewing your information, I know you have some core values such as strength-based coaching, accountability. I want to ask you, what do you find in in terms of your personal experience working with students when you have an, have a chance to sit down one-on-one with somebody? And if they're new for you, how do you utilize your values as a coach to bring the student athlete that you're working with on the same page as you to start out
1: coaching them? Sure. I mean, in the beginning, I really want to get to know them. Right. And so that, is me asking them a lot of questions, which I think I think can be very uncomfortable for a young person because they're so used to, at least this is my experience, they're so used to people telling them what to do and not used to having adults particularly really be curious about who they are and what they want to accomplish and what's important to them which I think is, a, is, is is disarming for them because they're, they're just not used to it. But I think some of it is just very plain communication about, hey, like I'm here for you. This has to be your process too. And I, and I would like your feedback. Um, if there are things that I ask you to do and you don't want to do them, that's okay. Just understand there's a consequence to it. So I really try to put them on an equal playing field with me. And like you said before, before you sort of prompted the question was putting the person before the performer, right? Looking at them as a whole so that they don't feel like you're only there so that they can, you know, be great because so much of them is, is bigger than what they do. And I I think if I tie it back to an earlier comment, I think identity has a lot to do with perfectionism. What do I, what do I mean by that? What I mean is, is that so many of these kids so much of their identity, like if you have viewed your identity, I've done this before. If you view your identity as like a pie, like a pie chart, you know, and you divide it up and say, like, okay, for me, you know, 50% of me is a father, 40% of me is a coach, and 10% of me is an athlete. That's I'm making that up, right? If I'm not doing a good job as dad, I'm gonna have a really hard time accepting that because I look at myself and say, it's such a big part of who I am, right? For a kid, they're looking at themselves as an athlete, probably 75%, maybe more, right? Like it's so much, so many of the eggs that they have in their identity basket are on athlete. And so when they screw something up or they make a mistake or they don't play as well or or perform as well as they want, it's not like, hey man, I had a bad day. It's I'm a bad person. Like I suck, right? The language, the self-talk is so negative because it's like they expect themselves to do things. And for me, it's making them, helping them understand, I can't make them understand, but helping them understand that that's just part of who they are. And that, that mistake or that, that suboptimal performance is something to learn from. And it's just a one-time thing because, they wouldn't have got to where they are without being successful the vast majority of the time. But somehow the emphasis is on, I screwed this up. And all the other stuff that they've done for the last 10 or 15 years is completely ignored, which is distorted, right? It's total distortion of reality. Reality is, you're really good at this. And you had one bad day and you're forgetting all the good stuff and you're only focusing on the bad and it's not helping, <laughs> you know? So it's, it's, it's definitely personalized one-on-one coaching in the sense that, not, there's not a one size fits all to what I do.
0: I wanted to ask you about your podcast and it's the freshman foundation podcast. If you can share with our audience, what motivated you to create your podcast and what type of goals you have with your podcast itself?
1: Yeah. I mean, your podcast or the podcast is my baby. (laughs) So I started it, you know, it was like really based on a hypothesis that I had, you know, I worked a couple of years in a high school and uh, I was coaching in a high school through my grad training. I was interning and I spent a lot of time with 16, 17 year old, 18 year old kids who were very, very accomplished athletes. Ultimately, a few of them went on. They're now participating in college at a super high level and you know as they were sort of winding down their career i started to wonder like how are they going to function when they leave this bubble of high school in new jersey where you're like the best of the best and now you're going to a place where there's everyone's the best of the best from their high school and now you're just one of many and so it got me to thinking like what are the variables the elements that go into a successful transition from high school to college athletics specifically that's sort of the theme of the podcast and it's broadened a bit but really for me it was because i'm a big podcast consumer and i get a lot out of uh, organic conversations like two people chatting about a subject where it's really based in like people who are super knowledgeable have experiences that's the way i intended it to be you know conversation hey, let's just talk about this. You tell me about your story. Let's talk about it. And if someone's listening, it's interesting because it's a story. It's not like this sort of prepackaged interview and they can take from it what they want and they can leave the rest. Now, what I've learned about the podcasting world is, is that it's it generates a ton of really good content, right? The Absolutely. conversations, yeah, there's so much to pull from it and there's so many ways to use it from a conversation. And I think that, to me, it's like it's like I have my own research lab. I get all these cool I get all these cool people to come on and tell me their stories. And I'm learning from them because it's like I want to know about this. And I think curiosity is a big part of who I am. I love to ask people questions to learn more about what why they do what they do and and what can I learn from them versus like, hey, I'm so smart, listen to me talk, you know, for 45 minutes by myself. Like no one's gonna to want to listen to that.
0: Absolutely. I uh I do want to share our audience. We had the benefit of a call last week. And when we first got on on our call, the intro call before this, it was, uh, ah, you're from Jersey. What exit are you from? And uh, that's the common Jersey joke, right? I I just (laughs) felt as soon as we started talking about things, I was really excited to have you come on the show because I've interacted with student athletes over the years from the University of Tampa, where I went to school. And I know that What you're doing right now is so important for people on the high school level going into the college transition and all that. And you raise some interesting points because with your podcast, you get to learn and educate yourself by talking to interesting people. Plus, you create content, which is such a a great higher purpose, right? I want to ask you is when you look at where we're going, you know, where we've been the last two years and the headlines in the sports world is a lot of mental health stuff. Sure, I we all deal with mental health. You mentioned earlier about your mental health. I've made it clear on my, to my audience that I've dealt with anxiety and depression for like 20 years. And it's how we navigate the anxiety and the depression during these trying times. That's just so Mm -hmm. important. I want to ask you as in your, in your capacity, what you do, how have you seen mental health impact the student athletes you work with? And what recommendations do you make
1: to improve awareness of mental health issues for athletes? I think, you know, honestly, first and foremost, I do still think there is a stigma, Mm -hmm. right? And it's, it's a pretty trite phrase, but there's a stigma with mental health issues. I even see it in mental performance coaching. What do I mean by that? Like with me, people are not necessarily reluctant to do it. The people, my clients, I think they're enthusiastic, but I think there's a reluctance to tell other people they're doing it. Right. So there's this perception that like, oh, there's something wrong with you, or I don't want to show weakness by telling somebody that, Hey, I'm working with somebody on my mental game. And I think that that's, I think that's a problem because whether you are medicated or you go to a therapist, like I've gone to therapy for the last eight or nine years, like, you know what telling other people about it is half the battle, right? Like this normalization of like, Hey, I do it. I've done it and it's helped me. And it's not, a, it's not something to be ashamed of. And, and listen, I think to the credit of the professional athletes, uh, college athletes, the higher profile people out there, the organizations—they are really trying hard to normalize mental health, which I think is is really great. I, I for me, and this is a personal bias, I think. Um, you know, I think what you just said is really important, right? It's sort of accepting it. It, it just is what it is, right? We 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 have we have to deal with it, and once you know and you're aware not doing something about it, I'm not saying it's not okay, but like it, to me, it's like, you know what, it's not something to be ashamed of. So, but then you've got to go and you've got to take the actions. And that's a big part of like my coaching in general, like once you know, something's amiss, you could do whatever you want. It's not for me to tell you, but I'm suggesting you do this. And if you take the suggestion, things are going to get better. If you don't, that's fine. But that's just you choosing to probably to suffer. And that's okay too, but like, I, I, I'm i not going to do the suffering for you, right? You're going to do it yourself. So I, I think it's coming around, but I think there's also deep down inside, I think there's still this stigma subconsciously that, Hey, like, I don't want anybody to know that I'm struggling. I really want to be okay and want everyone to see that I'm okay. And social media is a big topic of conversation on my podcast, you know, how it affects young people. I mean, it affects all of us, but how does it affect young people particularly? And it comes up a lot because I think it changes behavior and not necessarily for the good. And so like, how does that contribute to some of the challenges that we see young people have?
0: You know, interestingly enough, I will say this, you see now like the NFL has their own mental health and wellness program that they take. Yeah. And you, you see other, other athletes coming to the forefront and establishing and making clear that they've gotten the counseling, like Michael, Mike Phelps with mm-hmm. BetterHelp, I think it was, if I recall correctly, you think professional athletes could do more coaches, athletes, and, and facilitators and educators, do you think they can do more to help remove the stigma of mental health awareness? And if so, what steps do you think we could do?
1: That's a hard question to answer. I mean, listen, at the end of the day too, it's very personal to people. Um, and so it's also hard for me to criticize somebody who doesn't come forward and share if they're not comfortable. Sure. But I think by and large, if you look at the percentage of athletes who sort of identified an issue and come forth and publicized it relative to the total population, I think it's probably underrepresented, right? So I think in general, there's probably more people who are suffering from mental health issues than are not. And so the ones that are not coming forward, they may just be too scared, they're human, right? But at the same time, I think if more of them, were willing to come forward and share their story, it probably would help. So to me, it's kind of a slippery slope though because I get it. There's a plenty of people I know in my life who have been through a lot of stuff, stuff that's admirable from where I sit, things that they've been through. But for them, the thought of being open about it to somebody else that's not like in their inner circle is really hard. And that also can create more anxiety, right? So it's 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 kind of a slippery slope but I think as it becomes more normalized, we'll start to see more people come out. How have you
0: worked with parents with the transition from high school to college athletics? What type of role do you take assisting them with that transition?
1: Yeah. So, you know, I think I think with them, with parents, it's it can be even trickier sometimes because there are parents of most parents or a lot of parents have been through the process of transitioning to college right? You know, whether it's an athlete or not. So I think there's a, we all have an ego, right? And, and a lot of people say, Hey, I've done this before. It's my kid and I know what they need and and you don't. And that's fair. And that may be true. I think the value I bring to the process is a couple of things. One is objectivity in the sense that it's not my child. Therefore the emotion, there's not as much, certainly not as much emotion. Some of my athletes don't get me wrong. I have an emotional attachment to at some level after a while, and I want to see them succeed. And I, you know, I've got more than just like, you know, I'm not a robot. Right. But I'm not, they're not my kid. I can, I can have a conversation with them and not feel like, you know, if they don't succeed and I'm a failure, like that's not the way I look at it. So I think the objectivity helps because I could talk to the kid about things. Maybe they can't talk to the parents about. I think the other piece of it is, I think there's, I think parents are more apt to look at results, outcomes and process um, because it's your kid again, you know, like, Hey, you know, you, we've been doing X for the last 10 years and you've spent all this time and you've worked so hard and we spent all this money and blah, 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 which is all true and it's valid, but it's also like, Hey, you just got to take your hands off the wheel. That's you know, let the kid at 17, 18, 19 years old, they're going to have to figure this stuff out and you want to give them the skills to succeed in life. And so that might be getting comfortable talking to somebody else who can give you a different perspective, give you some tools that I can not give you. And also you can have the autonomy of knowing like, Hey, this is your ship to steer and not me like trying to hold your hand through college. And so, you know, it, Everybody has a different take on it, but I think, you know, my, the parents who I've worked with most closely, trust me and understand that I have their kids' best interests in heart at heart. So I'm a partner more so than somebody who's coming in and telling them what to do. It's more like a sounding board type of relationship.
0: I'll ask you this. I'm in my mind as you're answering your question, just now, as you're answering me, I'm thinking, okay, let's say I'm a parent and my son is 18 years old. He's in a senior year of high school. And I come across your information from listening to this podcast. And my son is really interested in being a college athlete. What recommendations would you give to a parent under those kind of circumstances?
1: I think, well, typically that, that process probably started even much before that senior year, right? It starts probably, you know, three, four years before that. But, but if they were to come to me, I think the number one thing for me, there are two things actually, you know, I think communication is critical. And and what do I mean by that? Like, So if you just take the college recruiting process as an example, what I've heard from a lot of coaches is they want to hear from the athlete, not the parent. right? They want the athlete to draft the email. They want the athlete to do the follow-up. They want the athlete to have the conversation. They want the athlete to own it. They don't want to talk to mom and dad. And I think that's really hard for a lot of parents. They want to have control of the process. They wanna make sure that their kid gets the best result and therefore they're like, well, you know what? I can't really trust him to do his own thing. I'm gonna step in. You know, I think allowing the athlete to communicate and sort of own the process, even though it might be hard to let go, I think that's a huge part of them making a good decision because it's gonna seem like their idea versus the parent's idea. And that applies to all of us, regardless of age or context. And I, I think the other piece of it is decision-making, right? I think we're raised in general, at least I was raised with a uh, sort of under the right and wrong umbrella, right? This is right. This is wrong, you know? And yeah, I mean, certainly there are things morally that they're right and wrong, pretty black and white, I would say, but there's a lot of stuff there. I talk to athletes about this in the sport context with decision-making. If you play a sport like basketball or soccer, particularly, if I've got the ball in the middle of the, the court or the field, and I've got four players around me or basketball or 10 players around me in soccer, there's a lot of good decisions. There's not one right one, right? So rather than saying you should have done this when what you did was just fine or saying like that was wrong, right? Let it play out, you know? And if there's clearly a bad choice or a mistake, then you step in and say, Hey, you know what? this is the way maybe you would have thought about doing it. Right. And so letting the athlete start to make their own decisions, understand the rewards and consequences of what they do and also help them understand that it's not like, Oh, if I don't do it this way, it's going to be a fail. No, it's a, it's a process, right? If you make a mistake, learn from it and move on. And I think that's where some of the perfectionism comes from. Like this is the way you got to do it. And if you don't do it this way, it's wrong. And then all of a sudden you're worried about doing something wrong because you've been conditioned to operate under that premise, and so I would say, you know, let the kids make their own decisions, and you know, kind of steer them, help them, guide them, versus doing it for them. I I love the idea of empowerment, and it sounds like you work within
0: empowerment as well. And I want to ask you, yes. in your capacity, what you do. What ways do you empower your student athletes to be the best that they can be?
1: Yeah, I I think for me, it's operating in a suggestive environment, letting them know that I think this is going to help you. But if you choose not to do it, that's okay. Or giving them the room to give me feedback as somebody who may be as old as their parents or as old as their coach, right? To give me feedback can be unnatural. So I really try to to facilitate that, to say, this is your experience You own it, you're gonna get out of it what you put into it. And I really, really refrain or try to refrain, I shouldn't say I completely refrain, but refrain from judging them. I think that judging them is, is really, really, could be really damaging to the process. It's not my job to put a value judgment on what they do. My job is to sort of help them think through how to solve problems and give them strategies to do that but it's not necessarily for me to solve the problem for them, which I think is frustrating for a lot of kids because they're so used to people solving problems for them. And they're like, just give me the answer. And I'm like, no, I'm not going to give you the answer. I'm going to challenge you to do this. And they're just like, well, right. But I think that that's really what empowers them is, is empowering them to make mistakes and and to solve their own problems. It's almost
0: as if when students engage in athletics, they practice for real life and it's, it's their performance as an athlete that shows their success within the moment, but how they handle setbacks and failures over the long run that really gives them life
1: skills. Absolutely, so I, it's funny you say that. So I I was recently doing some research for an article, a blog post about mental skills use in professional baseball. And there was a study about that. It was like a thesis study but it was pretty comprehensive, and I, what it said basically was: people who use mental skills training with people like me, their performance doesn't necessarily improve significantly, but their longevity does. What does that mean? It means is that the training that they're going through is helping them persist right for longer periods of time. In this case, it was like two and a half years longer. Than there's somebody who didn't use it. Now, that's a long time. That's a lot of money that can mean the difference between, you know, the minor leagues and the major league getting a contract. Right. And so that's a very tangible way to look at it. But if I'm a high school athlete and I'm doing this at 16, well, maybe that extra training puts me into college because I'm, I'm persistent. I know how to deal with adversity. I know how to get my mind to work for me rather than against me and so that's the way i pitch it you know the to look at like times you know race times or statistics eh, yeah i mean sure is that an indicator that mental performance coaching is working it might be anecdotally but it's more how do i feel about myself can i you know put a smile on my face when things aren't going so good and give my best effort because that attitude's going to matter and that's what you control
0: what What's your favorite aspect of working with student athletes within the context of being a mental mm-hmm. performance coach?
1: I, to me, what's my favorite? I just I, I love getting to know them. Like I love getting to know them because I think one of the things that inspired me, and I didn't really, I do not really say this when you asked me the question in in the uh, beginning of the show, but you know, one of the things I realized when I applied to school, they asked me to write a personal statement, and I and I said like if I would have had Something like this, thirty years ago, I probably would I would have played in college because I would have had some of the tools because I had the physical ability. But I was, you know, pardon the phrase, I was you know was just I was a I was not mentally strong. I was going to use another phrase, but I didn't. It was probably a good choice. But I wasn't mentally strong. I let my emotions overcome me because I felt bad about myself, self-esteem and all this other stuff. And I never could perform up to that level because it was like a roller coaster all the time. So for me, it was like, well, if I would have had this, then I could I could have been different. And so like, for me, it's like, how do I make a difference in these young people's lives so that they don't have the same fate that I do? And I think one of the things I'm, I'm particularly good at is being able to relate to people, particularly young people, which I think a lot of adults have a hard time with right? Like, oh, you're just a kid and millennial and this and that, right? And there's all these value judgments. Kids don't work as hard today, today's, you know? And it's like, you know what? Like, nah, I think we just beat kids. Like like I was beat up when I was younger because that's just the way we treated kids. Now they're different. And I like to be able to like see them for the person that they are and be curious about them and want to help them get to where they want to go because there's so much runway for them, you know? And uh, it's fun. That's the fun part for me. I, I, I really enjoy that. What do you think is one of the biggest challenges to this particular field, mental
0: health, uh, mental performance coaching? What do you think is like one of the greatest challenges as a, as we go forward?
1: Ah, uh, that's you know there are a lot of there are a lot of challenges. I, I I think you know I think probably the most obvious one is is that you know any sort of mental training or any sort of mental health service is very intangible, right? It's really hard to measure success, right? Results, and so we live in a results oriented world we want something for the investment that we're making time or money and for a lot of people if you can't like either show it or prove it you know for them it's not not worth the time and effort so i'd say that's a big one i i think the other challenge is accessibility you know and this is something that always sort of challenged me when i was going through my training was like what i do One, it was not, there was a big investment on the front end for me to get a degree in this field. I spent a lot of money and a lot of time, right? And what we do is a very luxury item that comes in some cases with a luxury price tag and not everybody has access to it, right? So how do you give people access to what I do on a broader scale? I think part of that is technology. And you're starting to see that in society in general. Mental health stuff is kind of going online, and there's good about that there's also not so good about that right like i give the best the best of myself when i have a relationship with somebody one on one. if you're texting with somebody or you have some sort of app or platform that's just sort of for everybody you're probably not getting the same quality of service but you're also getting access to something that's affordable i think the, the next frontier will be into the schools right so professional sports has it on varying levels College sports is getting there in terms of having people on staff. Maybe the next level, you know, having these kinds of people in schools at the high school level, right? Where you have a sports psychologist on staff for the entire athletic department, but you're educating them. You have a resource. You can bring in other people and normalizing it and maybe have a budget for having consultants and things like that. Cause I think awareness is, is lacking and there's only so many of us. I mean, I'm certified there's maybe if there's a thousand people right now, it's a lot. So a thousand people out of 330 million in the U S is not a big number. So it's just accessibility and there's not a lot of people. So uh, I think those are the biggest challenges. And then just sort of like overcoming, like I said before, that sort of natural inclination to sort of shy away from anything that's mental health related because there's a stigma tied to it.
0: One of the things as I'm hearing you answer that I'm thinking to myself, if we can remove the stigma of mental health and help athletes understand on the student level, help them understand that what they're experiencing, if you express it and you get help or you work it out, it'll make your performance improve. And I really I delve in the area of mindfulness, meditation, healing modalities. And it sounds like if you could bring that to the scale of what you do within your capacity as a mental performance consultant, and and if the athletic teams and and parents and everyone got on board, this would be a much better experience for our student athletes. And I wanted to ask your opinion on that.
1: I I couldn't agree more. And you know, one of the things that I heard at, at a very early juncture when I started doing this work was from my athletes, the clients, that just talking to somebody helped to lighten the load. Right. Like just to have somebody to talk about like what's going on, like helped. Mindfulness. Like I would say that Aside from my younger athletes who are sort of younger than high school age, which I have a few of those, I ask them to try mindfulness meditation and I ask them to do it for five minutes. I'm like, I'm not going to, you know, it's not overwhelming. I want you to just try it and see if you like it. And what I find is most of them do enjoy it. One, it's a quiet time away from looking at screens, you know, no one's bothering them yeah, maybe I'm a little antsy. I'm not comfortable with my thoughts or I'm uncomfortable sitting there. But I think if they stick with it, they really start to see the benefit because things start to slow down for them. And what I mean by that is they're much more aware of what's happening. And when it happens, they don't panic. Like, oh, no, no. They're like, okay, like, I know it's happening. I got it. I'm aware of it. And I can do something about it. So like, I'm a huge, I'm a huge proponent of, of that. Because I think it would just—it just helps. It helps me. That was a big part of dealing with my anxiety was practicing mindfulness and really starting to understand that, hey, it's not as bad as I think it's going to be. That what if, yeah. <laughs> right? That what if of like, oh, what if I, you know, what if I'm having <laughs> anyone <what> if, <laughs> yeah, any what if, right, right, exactly. And it so, doesn't
0: matter what the what if is. It's just if it starts with what if, it's not going to happen like isolated.
1: It's not good. Yeah, and it's not and it's not productive. I mean, listen, I will say this. I mean, in fairness, right? Like, what if I do talk about this with athletes? One of the things that we talk about is previewing, right? What if this happens? But it's you, it's in the context of a game, right? Like, what if this happens? Okay, then what are you gonna do about it? Right. Like, so you're solving the problem before it happens, but you're not worrying about something and not trying to pose the solution to it, right? Going what if and trying to preview something without trying to put a solution on it, like in advance, well, that's pointless. But if you say, like, oh, what if this happens? I'm gonna do this, this, or this. Well, now you're planning. It's a little different, right? You're you're addressing the anxiety. So there's a lot that comes with it. It's it's the mind is such a complicated thing and it's so powerful. And all of the negativity that we we think and all the things that trouble us and the what ifs and the worries, like our brains are programmed to all that stuff, you know, survival mechanism. And so I try to teach them that too. This is how the brain works. Like you've got this tiny little, you know, walnut sized gland called an amygdala and that thing is like overwhelming 80% of your brain. And like, we all go through it. So like, it's going to happen. What are you going to do when the alarm goes off? Are you going to react to the alarm or are you going to notice the alarm and go, no, it's a false alarm. That's the kind of stuff that I do with them. And, Just bringing that kind of perspective and giving them some of the knowledge, just understanding how the brain works, gives them kind of relief because they're like, oh, okay. Like it happens to everybody. Like, oh, there's nothing I could do about it. Oh, okay. that I get it now. Okay. Like when it goes off, I'm going to, I'm going to be ready for it. And that's just rewarding because I didn't know that stuff until I was like 40 years old. (laughs) They're 16, getting a jump on all this stuff. That's not only for performance, a life skill you take with you.
0: Absolutely. I I couldn't say it better. I think that the skill, you, the skills you gain in life through experiences and adversity help shape your ability to manage yeah. difficulties. And I think if you can impart that on younger students, they'll be much better prepared to be equipped with everything that's ahead. I know we're running a long time, but I want to ask you, how can our audience find you? And I wanted to just... I'm just so excited to have you on right now because I think this important topic is so critical because of where we're where we are right now as a society. There's like a renaissance that we're going to spiritually, physically, mentally. And I believe in the whole mind-body-spirit dynamic. Mm-hmm. So let me let me first ask you though, I want to ask you, how can we find you?
1: So you could find me on on my website. It's Michael. V is in Vincent, which is my middle name, Hubert H U B E R dot com. That's my primary website. Freshmanfoundation.com as well. And then on social media, you could find me at Michael V Huber um, on Instagram. So th- those are kind of the best places to check me out. I'm always putting stuff up and putting up content. And there's some there's some there's some free stuff on the website that you might find valuable, an ebook. And um, I'm working on a video course that's gonna come out shortly. That's that'll be free. So Anything, I, uh, anything to start to like kind of build a foundation or the building blocks for mental performance training?
0: I think it's really interesting. I was looking at your site too, and I didn't get a chance to bring this up yet, but the facts about you, you finished a Chicago marathon in five hours and 21 minutes in October of 2018. I give you credit there because I, I did a marathon many moons ago in uh, 2006, and it takes a lot of training and a lot of a lot, a lot of obstacles overcome within your mind. And and I want to ask you, first, I want to congratulate you for that. Thank you. Secondly, what did that experience train? Like what did that experience impart on you in terms of your experience as a mental performance coach?
1: It's an awesome question. It was, it was so hard training, staying motivated for the training was hard. And I (laughs) undertrained, meaning like I was training, like, it's not like I ran into marathon cold, but what I learned is like, listen, you got to put in the work, right? Like, I was training up to 15, 16 miles. I never got up to 20 in my training and not surprisingly about mile 15. I hit the wall. I hit well, I went through a bunch of stuff. Yeah. I hit the wall, but I was like, my body was like crapping out on me. I was in the bathroom and this and that, and it was raining. It was a disaster. (laughs) So physical, listen, physical training. Yeah. I, I think the thing that I learned was, is that, you know, to me, I tried to like, in the beginning, I set a goal for myself, like a time goal. And it didn't even come close to fruition. To me, it was just about finishing, right? That idea of putting one foot in front of the other. I walked a bunch in the last 10 miles, tried to run. I felt like crap, but you just, you keep going and, you know, crossing the finish line was like really emotional because it's like, I, the fact that I know I could do this, you know, I don't even care about the time. And I think for me, it, uh, a lot of things I do in my life are about process now about like, am I capable of enduring the roadblocks that come up with anything? And the marathon was a great example of that. It just, you know, and I look back and I go, man, I'm so glad I did it. I never did it again because <laughs> I kind of, <laughs> because I just didn't want to invest the time. And, and it does relate to the work I do because motivation, you know, is such a big part of what I do as well, helping people understand how p- motivation works how it's sustainable how it's unsustainable if if you're training for something like a marathon and you don't really love it it's going to be really hard to do and you do it once and like i did it but like i don't love running (laughs) why am i why am i going to spend hundreds of hours running if i don't actually love it you know and so i think that's important and i think what happens a lot of times with athletes is young athletes is that they do it because they think they need to do it or they've been doing it for 10 years or so-and-so wants me to do it, or I want a scholarship and they don't love it as much as they used to. And it becomes a challenge or a struggle. So how do we help them find the motivation in what they're doing to keep going? So
0: that's interesting. You know, and I saw that point, I think back to when I trained for my marathon, I did one full and two halves. And the second one was a full one. The first one was a half for Disney world marathon, the Walt Disney yep. World half- and I got, I did it in January of 2006 and I, I was confident. And then my old boss at the time was like, oh, you should do a full one. So I did the, one of the Gasparilla distance classics here in Tampa. And I remember when I did my full one, a few weeks later, I hit the wall at mile 20, every, every part of my leg muscles kinked up and you know how they have volunteers on the side that give you like refreshments. Yeah. I had a woman run up to me, the kindest woman. She was like my angel during the marathon. She ran up to me and gave me like a banana and some some of that gel stuff. And I remember I was just so determined to finish. And I did. And when I finished, like you said, it's an emotional thing. I did my marathon in honor of my grandfather. who died of a stroke a few years earlier, or recently before that. And I find that you're right. When you can overcome that hurdle in your mind to realize you could do 26.2 miles. It might be hard. You might not be the fastest, but you can finish. And by finishing itself, it reinforces so many core values within yourself and yeah. gain confidence. In, and I think any task in life, when I talk to people now and they have big things they have to accomplish, I'm like, break it into like one mile. If you did a marathon, it's like 26 gotcha. one mile runs, break it into a smaller piece. And that by itself has given me a lot of opportunities that I didn't think
1: in the past I could do. Yeah. I mean, there's so much good stuff in there, right? As it relates to the topic we're talking about, right? You had a purpose for doing it, right? You dedicated it to your grandfather, right? Like that's your motivation. Like I know why I'm doing this. Like there's a reason, a bigger reason for it. And then breaking it into pieces is awesome. Right. And for me, when I was running it, it was, Hey man, just take a step, just keep stepping forward. And, and and then mindfulness comes into play of like, just be present with where you're at and appreciate and have gratitude for the fact that you're able to move your legs and, you know, just keep going forward and just appreciate like the moments rather than thinking about the finish line. And I think that's really hard. And I'm actually working with an athlete who's a or track athlete, but not like long distance, short distance. But I said that as like, you're, she's thinking about all this big stuff. Like, what if I don't do this and my performance, my time, I said, just appreciate where you're at feel your feet on the track like feel your hands on the track like feel the way that your spikes hit it and what does it sound like and like just be appreciative of the fact that you're there and break it into that little process of like hey and she's like oh okay i'll try that and we'll see you know she's literally running today and we'll see if it works for her but but it's, yeah, breaking it down into those little pieces, really being mindful of what you're doing and why you're doing it and why it makes you happy and what you're getting out of it versus like, oh, I have to go do this in a certain amount of time. And that result invariably is out of your control completely.
0: Absolutely. I, I know we're going to wind this down. This is just such a great topic, but I want to ask you, I know you're an author. Can you share with our audience about your book?
1: Yeah. So my book, well, actually, it's like my ebook on my website um, it, It's simply, a, it's, it's basically a primer. For anybody who's interested in mental performance coaching, right so really understanding sort of the the building blocks for optimal performance and really and, and there's some activities in there to do to kind of help shape what you want to get out of your performance and then there's a little bit of information about the skills that really can help a performer be at their best
0: i I really enjoyed having you on today because for me, this is something that I have a personal interest in because I think, after seeing headlines and watching professional athletes suffer with mental health issues, Mm -hmm. I'd like to dedicate this show in part to some of these topics because of how critical and important they are. And I know you've come back at this stage of your life to make this your mission. And I respect you for that and appreciate it.
2: So,
0: I want to thank you for uh, sharing your expertise with us today. And I look forward to working with you again in the future. Thank you, Jason.
1: It was, it was, it was a pleasure to be on. Thank (laughs) you for thinking of me Uh, as much as I like to learn about other people. I, I do every once in a while enjoy sort of talking about what I do and telling my story because I think there's value in it. It was, I'm really grateful to have a chance to kind of share that for a bit and, and hopefully something, you know, somebody gets something out of it, you know, again, being of, of help and service to others.
0: I just want to thank Michael for coming on the show today and sharing his expertise with us. This is such an important topic because of what we're dealing with as society. Our student athletes are a part of our future. And if we don't address their needs appropriately we're actually creating a disservice for ourselves as a society and from my vantage point as a intuitive person who i always say i'm a spirit, we're spiritual people living in a 3d physical world we can't ignore the type of work that michael does as a certified mental performance consultant coach it's so critical athletes on and off the field are challenged every single day And each of us in the audience knows someone who's participated in a sport at some point in their life and the the values and the ethics that they that we can gain by having advocates like Michael working with students individually and parents and, and filling in those missing gaps. We need the resources to dedicate and help student athletes go into their careers and as young adults, but also make sure that their mental and emotional challenges are addressed as well. So I, I really would like to encourage my audience to reach out to Michael. If you have any questions about certified mental performance consulting or anything regarding his expertise, because it's so critical and important and ethics and mental health and all these various things, gamemanship teamwork so important for performance to be optimized. So check out this information I'll have it in the show notes and we'll have more material about this type of stuff in the future. I find it fascinating to have someone like Michael come on the show because of his particular perspective and point of view regarding sports psychology and intersection with everyday sports for our student athletes. So I thank you for tuning into this episode. More important than anything else, stay positive because when you're positive, anything's possible. Thank you.
2: Thank you for listening to this episode of the Social Psychic Radio Show. Don't forget to join us for another episode next time. If you enjoyed the show, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give us a review on iTunes. You can also check us out on Facebook. And don't forget to visit the Social Psychic YouTube channel. Until next time, it's a big world out there. Keep an open mind, embrace your paradigms, and know that the universe is always yours to explore. At Baker's, no matter where
0: you order free pickup, you get the same great deals as you'd get in store. So you can save when you order during band practice, or at the dog park, or wherever. Start your cart with the Bakers app and save from wherever today. Bakers, fresh for everyone.
1: $35 order minimum. Restrictions may apply. Subject to availability. Get more ways to save at the buy five or more, save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Bakers, fresh for everyone. Welcome to Sara Talk Solutions. Ladies and gentlemen, you've tuned into a beautiful Show. I'm Sarah B.
2: and I'm your host. You can find me on my IG, which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. I talk about amazing, relevant conversations and topics and what functions that goes on in this magical, wonderful, wonderful city of the City of Angels. My IG, which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore L-A. Electric.